Welcome to Growth Mindset University. I'm your host, Jordan Paris, and this show is all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school but did not, so that we can succeed in the progressive new age of business and life we find ourselves in today. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. When I first started this podcast, I had no clue what I was doing, and it showed. This podcast was terrible in the beginning, so much so that when people tell me today that they listen to early episodes, I cringe because it was just that bad. But along the way, of course, I figured things out and started growing as I was going. But I wish I knew these things in the beginning. I could have saved so much time, money, and just sheer embarrassment. Now I'm solving for all of the unknown variables of podcasting for you with my brand new course, How to Become a Rockstar Podcaster. Oh, and by the way, it's completely free. In the course, I give away every single one of my secrets from marketing to building a business around your podcast and monetizing your podcast without ads. I put a ton of effort into this course over the past few months, and it is extremely professional. And this is something that people around me said I should be selling for 400 bucks, but I said, no, I am giving this away for free. I couldn't think of something better to share with you. So for free access to my new course, How to Become a Rockstar Podcaster, you can go to jordanparis.com forward slash course. That's jordanparis.com forward slash course for free access to my brand new course, How to Become a Rockstar Podcaster. I look forward to seeing you in the course. Let's build a business around your podcast. I am extremely grateful that you are here with me today on Growth Mindset University. Just want to let you know that two times per week, we have interviews with the best of the best. New York Times bestselling authors, billionaires, the like, the most successful people in the world, people like Mark Manson, Naveen Jain, James Altucher, so many more. And I don't want you to miss these interviews. So go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, Growth Mindset University, wherever you are listening right now. One of my favorite things is when you reach out to our guests that we have on the show. So for example, if you enjoy today's guest, please reach out to them. Tell them that you enjoyed today's episode. Send them that token of gratitude. Like, look, I heard John Jordan's show and it was so good. This really impacted me. If you do this with every guest, you're going to start building a world-class network in record time. This is how I built my network. So this is just another way I'm looking to give back to you here. Just give you this little tip. So reach out to our guest today. And now without further ado, please enjoy the show. My guest today is Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen is one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature, some of my favorite things to learn about. She's the author of many books, including the blockbuster New York Times bestsellers with an S, Outer Order, Intercom, The Four Tendencies, Better Than Before, and The Happiness Project. She has an enormous readership, both in print and online, and her books have sold over 3.5 million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. And The Happiness Project even spent two years on the bestseller list. 
On her award-winning podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, she discusses happiness and good habits with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. She's been interviewed by Oprah, eaten dinner with Daniel Kahneman, walked arm-in-arm with the Dalai Lama, had her work written up in a medical journal, and been an answer on the game show Jeopardy. In her work, she draws from cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from pop culture, and her own experiences to explore how we can make our lives happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. Gretchen started her career in law, very interesting, and was clerking for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when she realized she wanted to be a writer. Gretchen, welcome. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, bearing with me on the quick audible we made here. We're not recording on our normal Squadcast. We're recording on Zoom today. So if you notice a lapse in audio quality, dear listener, don't worry. We'll be back on the next episode to Squadcast, most likely. But Gretchen, I'm so excited to be talking to you. How many books have you read? Because I've seen pictures of your uh, beautiful New York City home there. And wow, like I've, I don't think anyone owns more books. Have you read them all? I've read a lot of books. Um, I've actually become much more stringent in recent years about what books I keep. So I used to keep a lot of books when I would read them. Um, and now I really only keep a book if I think that I might want to look at it again, um, or if it was so good that I just delight in having it. But I'm giving away a lot more books because I'm sort of running out of space. They take, they're beautiful and wonderful, but they do take up a lot of room. Um, and if you like to buy books, you have to figure out... Um, what to do with them. I also use a library ton. I love the library because I could just be very promiscuous. I just grab anything I want. And I know like if I really love it, I might buy my own coffee, but usually I just give it right back. Being promiscuous, promiscuous with books, a term (laughs) that's those two go hand in hand. That's funny. That's uh, in the same sentence there. But uh, you, so you get, that's essentially outer order inner calm, you you know, because yeah, you get too many of those books and that contributes to the clutter that can, at least subconsciously stress us out a little bit. So you're, I, I cannot, I find it hard because I, we, we are, we're already bonding over this. I have a lot of books here too in my background. What, so you give away your books. I find it very hard to part ways with those books. How do you do it? You, I could never even throw a book in the trash too. No. I, no. No. Well, I'm very lucky because just like literally a block from my house is a housing works. And that's a uh, like a thrift store that where they will take books. Some thrift stores won't take books. They do take books and they, they resell them. So I know that if I'm not going to look at a book again, if I give it away, then it goes back into the reading landscape. And and so if somebody else can enjoy it. Um, I also have a couple friends who have similar, like I love children's literature um, and fantasy. And I have a friend who loves children's literature and fantasy. And so a lot of books I will give to her. And so that's always fun when you can give it to somebody you know will like it. But I just find that uh, I was really getting feeling very choked by all my books. I didn't have any more shelf space. My husband also buys tons of books. Um, And, uh, you know, just at a certain point, you have to decide whether you want to start piling them up on the floor. And I just felt like, okay, I don't want to live like that. Um, And I also, because I do do a ton of research, and I also often will later want to go back to something. I needed to be able to find a book that I had. And if you have too many books, at least in my experience, your systems start to break down in terms of retrieval. So, you know, you have the, you know, the selected essays of George Orwell somewhere in your apartment, but like, where are they? But like, I need it and I want my copy because I marked it up and so I can find exactly what I need. Um, I really want to be able to put my hands on that right away. And so by really just keeping the things that I think are 
like super valuable to me that I make it um, a lot easier to manage um, having a lot of books. Yeah, we're going to get into the principles of outer order intercom later and some of the things that I picked out of there that I thought were interesting. Uh, But first, I want to make sure people can find you. I usually do this right in the beginning. I I forgot for a second, but GretchenRubin.com. Outer Order Intercom is the new book that I just finished reading last week. I actually did it on Audible. It was great there. Mm. Gretchen is there reading it. I I only do an audio book if the author's reading it. So so it's good to good to hear you. I'm already like used to you know you're you're speaking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so. and then uh, at Gretchen Rubin on Instagram, if I didn't already say that. And uh, yeah, Outer Order Intercom, though. That's the book. Uh, very helpful book. It's just straight action, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of just things you can do and implement right away. Well, given the subject, which is the idea that Outer Order contributes to Intercom and kind of in a sense of focus and possibility for most people, not for everybody, as I point out in the book, some people are truly clutter blind and they don't experience this, like my sister, who's the co-host of the Happier Podcast with me. She's one of these people who doesn't really care about outer order. Like it just doesn't matter that much to her. But for most people, it does matter. Um, and I thought, well, if I'm writing a book about outer order, I want to write something that's very streamlined. That's very that like you can just like get in, read it, get your ideas, and get out. You know. So my idea was I wanted to write a book where you'd get you'd you'd be reading it for half an hour, and then you'd be like. I got to throw it over my shoulder and run in my medicine cabinet because I'm just so inspired to clear some clutter. Yeah. So it is, it's a very, it's a very kind of, um, there's not a lot of meat to it. It's meant to be a book that you can really just get through very, very quickly. And that's what I did. I was, as su- every time I would stop listening to it, I mean, cause it took me a week to like, I, I did it over a week, right? Every time, like I'd listen to it in the car and I'd get home and just, like, oh, I'm g- and I'd be thinking in the car, I'm going to throw away this. Yes, you get all excited, right? Yeah, yeah. It, fe- it does feel good. It's, there's something therapeutic about, uh, about throwing away this clutter that you don't actually need. But we're going we're to get into it later. But first, I'm so curious. Why did you get into law? Why did you go into law in the first place? I went into law for all the wrong reasons, right? I just drifted in because it's like my father's a lawyer and he loves being a lawyer. And I thought, well, I'm good at research and writing. It'll keep my options open. It's a great education. It'll set me up for a lot of different things. Um, and then I had a great experience. I was editor-in-chief of the Yale Law Journal, which is the law review for Yale Law School. And I clerked for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. So I had, you know, I had a great experience, um, but uh, the thing about law school is really it prepares you to be a lawyer. That is what it's really meant for. And it does that very well. And I really didn't want to be a lawyer. Um, so I was clerking for Sandra Day O'Connor when I had the idea for what became my first book. And um, then I started down the path of figuring out how to be a professional writer. And yeah, you started writing while you were still uh, in law, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, okay. like in my free time. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. So you didn't go like, you didn't take a hundred percent like leap of faith right away. I'm going to quit and just make it. Yeah, I'm just going to figure out a way to make it as a writer. Well, I had to finish that job. And then I took another uh, job um, for, the, for the Federal Communications Commission because it was like the sort of chance of a lifetime type thing. Um, yeah. But so, and I'm really glad that I did that because I, I feel I got a lot of insights um, from working in those jobs. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, but then what happened was my husband, my husband was also, I met in law school and he also was switching out of law. And so together we were in DC with these sort of legal jobs. And then we decided we would move to New York and we decided when we moved to New York, we're going to move into these new careers. And so we didn't get law jobs. Um, he got a job in finance and I just started 
trying to get an agent full time. And I remember there was a day when we got an envelope from the New York um, State Bar Association asking us to pay our bar fees. And I said to him, are we going to pay our bar fees? And he's like, no, we're not. Like, whew. And I thought, okay, well, we're really doing this. Um, so we stopped paying our bar fees. And that was like when we really, I found out later, you can always get back if you just like pay your missing bar fees and like do some work to get, you know, so it, it, it wasn't as abrupt as it felt at the time. But at the time, it really felt like we were burning a bridge. Yeah. Why did you, what's the real deep inner reason for deciding to leave law? I know, you know, you had that day where you know, you're like, oh, no, we're not going to pay the bar fees. But like, what was your life like? during those those years in your former career? Well, I, I mean, I had a great time. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't that I was leaving law so much. I mean, I think sometimes people switch careers because they really don't aren't happy. My thing was more, and I think many, many writers feel this way, certainly, but many people in many professions actually feel this way, which is you almost feel a compulsion to do something, like it, it, which in, in a way is a really wonderful feeling because it's so clear what you want to do, but it, it's almost out of your control in a way. And so the minute I had the idea for my first book, which ended up being a book called Power, Money, Fame, Sucks, A User's Guide, once I had the idea for that, it was, I always think of like, you know, the scene in Star Wars where there's the, the Millennium Falcon is caught in the tractor beam of the Death Star. And they're like, we have to turn off the engine. It's like, we're just going in. We can't, we can't pull out. We just, we have to go. Right. And that's how I felt. I was like, I have to try this. I, I felt like I, I really, I, I thought, you know, I'd rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. I really need to try this. I bought a book called How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal and Just Follow the Directions. So it was really much more about like once I had an idea for what I wanted to write, I just felt like I had to write that book. And that's a feeling that I will often get. I often will write things like write, you know, I wrote this thing about color. It's like, why am I even doing this? Like, I'm a professional writer. Why am I spending hours and hours and hours on a project just for fun, but I, I kind of can't help myself. Um, so for me, it was really about once the idea clicked into my head, I, I just felt like I, I, I felt a very, very strong compulsion to do it. And then I thought, well, this is, people do this for a living. So I could try to do this for a living, given that I'm going to be doing it anyway. Beautiful. So the Happiness Project was really your first big hit, if I'm not mistaken, yes. New York Times bestseller. Yeah. In the gaps here before we get on to outer order, outer, God, it is like a tongue twister if you say it fast, outer order, inner calm. Okay, I got it. Before we get on to that, though, the happiness project, fill in the blanks. Where did the inspiration for that book come from and what's it about? So that's a book um, that is the an account of a year that I spent test driving the wisdom of the ages, the contemporary science, and the lessons from popular culture about how to be happier. Um, I use myself as a guinea pig. I like I try out everything that everybody tells you and to see like can I make myself happier. And I got the idea for the book because I was finishing up my book, uh, 40 Ways to Look at JFK, and um, so I had a little bit of mental downtime because I was sort of at the end of. The, the heavy lifting for that project. And I was on a crowded bus in the pouring rain here in Manhattan. And um, I looked out the window and I thought, what do I want from life anyway? You know, one of these big questions that you rarely, I rarely ask myself in everyday life. And I thought, well, I want to be happy. But I thought, I don't spend any time thinking about 
whether I am happy or whether I could be happier. And I thought I should have a happiness project. And it hit me like that, like a happiness project. That was the phrase that I used for myself. And at first it was just an idea for me. I just was interested in it. And I thought, okay, I'll just go to the library, check out some books and start reading. And I started reading and I just got deeper and deeper and I became more and more fascinated. And there were so many ideas that I wanted to pursue and so many things I wanted to try. It, again, it was there's sort of this feeling of compulsion and kind of getting getting swept away by it, and then until finally I thought, wow, well maybe this could be my next book project. Um, and so then I decided to write the Happiness Project, and then actually this subject, this this larger subject of happiness, which then also contains like Good Habits, which was my book Better Than Before, Understanding Personality, which is my book The Four Tendencies, which divides people into four categories: um, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Outer order. Oh, good. Excellent. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Um, outer order and calm, which is like a little aspect of happiness, but actually, it's it like it's disproportionately weighted in that like you think a crowded coat closet is trivial in the context of a happy life, and yet people get this sort of crazy boost from cleaning out their coat closet. So that was really interesting to me. So really, ever since the Happiness Project, I've been looking at different aspects of you know how do we make our lives happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. Absolutely. It's very compelling book. It sounds like it'll probably be one of my next few. I'm reading uh, Dan Millman's The Hidden School right now. That was our episode today, uh, Dan Millman, that came out. And so, that yes, was, yes that's, that was a fun one. But I'm finishing that book now. It's behind me. So, The Happiness Project could be one of the next ones after that. I, it's a very compelling book. As soon as you started talking about it, I was like, ooh, you know. Uh, so, you've mentioned, though, you decided to start writing, you know, make that your next book project. I imagine you have a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. How do you know which ones to decide to pursue and which ones to leave them be? You know, know, that is a really good question. And it's hard because I often have things that are very interesting to me. Like I went through this whole thing with pain and placebo, obsessed with placebo. Um, I'm obsessed with the sense of smell. Um, I, you know, I, I do have these, uh, I love aphorisms. I'm doing this whole thing about aphorisms. Um, Partly what I've learned to do is to trust myself and to know that often things come back later, that somehow something doesn't feel connected to me now, but then in the end, it will connect up. And so part of that is just letting myself do it. And then also, I do feel like there's an element to, of playfulness and that part of what I need to do is to stay curious and engaged and kind of like tuned into the world. And so I try to let myself kind of like, I'm not that strict with myself in terms of pursuing things that don't seem to have like an immediate payoff um, because I worry that that might make my work kind of dry if it started feeling like homework. Um, Because usually what really drives me is just like my super incredible passion. Like like people will say to me, are you sick of talking about this? I'm like, are you kidding? I'll talk about this for six hours. You're going to be sick of it way before I'm sick of it. Like, with my subjects, I feel like Winston Churchill. I wrote a book about Winston Churchill. Let's talk about Winston Churchill. Like, I will never tire of that. Um, and so for me, it's like, does it feel big enough that I feel like it could go forever? Uh, now, something like color, I don't feel like it could go forever, but I am starting to see how it's starting to feed into other projects. Like, I think my next project is going to be something to do with the body, the senses, um, feeding the mind through the body. And then of course, so of course I'm like, oh, I did all that stuff on color. Now it makes perfect sense why I was so interested in color. Because what I'm really interested in is how to feed the, the mind through the body. Color is a huge part of that. See, sight is, a, is our most dominant sense. And so, um, so everything's kind of fitting together 
in ways that I didn't necessarily anticipate. Excellent. So outer order, inner calm, though, it connects. That was one of my questions, too, that you kind of answered. How does your work here on this book connect with your work on happiness? And you mentioned that I'm actually looking at a closet right now. It is a you would not be very proud at all, actually. Ooh, I would uh, love to come over. I love to help people. Come it is, it so is actually a disaster, and I'm going to have to <laughs> – I'm looking at this, project so, uh, this closet so shamefully right now. But you never – you underestimate how that the clutter in that closet can affect your happiness. It, when did you start to realize that? All the way back to law school, I've been really interested in people's relationships to possessions and objects and – the role of gifts and things like that. And as I was working on the happiness project and then the book Happier at Home, which was really all about kind of the idea of home and happiness, um, I was thinking about possessions. And what, what I noticed is that, you know, I'd be out in the world and I'd be talking about relationships and how important they are to happiness or like getting enough sleep and how do you have enough energy and how do you know yourself better and questions like that. People really love talking about those subjects. But then when the subject would turn to things like organization or decluttering, people get like there was a special energy. Like people just got really fired up. Like, I don't know. There was just something about it. And I certainly noticed that with myself, which like, like a month ago, I cleaned up my utility closet. And it was like I was walking by that closet three times a day just to gaze in there and, and get a boost from it. Or like, you know, you just feel so good when you when you clear things out, you get rid of decision fatigue, you have more room, you can find things better. Um, I just, I, but I, and, and it really surprised me, like how, really how there was this disproportionate effect that like people seem to get more of a boost from it than really made sense given how much does it, like, sure, you got a lot of junk in your car, it's not that big a deal, but then when you clean out your car, you feel so much better. So I was really interested in, 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 thinking about why that might be. And then also, given that that's true for most people, not everyone, but for most people, what are the quick, easy habits that we can, we can uh, foster that would help us create and then even more importantly, maintain that kind of outer order going forward, um, given that it does seem to matter to people more than you might assume? Yeah. What I struggle with, and I, I mentioned to you, I've been, I have been clearing stuff over the past uh, few weeks ever since that book. And it's, I, I've gotten rid of a lot and I had to, had to make some trips downstairs to, uh, to, uh, get rid of it, right. To expose yeah. it, uh, to dispose of it. That's the word. Mm-hmm. But I struggle big time with iPhone boxes, uh, computer boxes. Like they are just, they look so cool. Like <laughs> it's a weird thing. You, you're looking at me like you never heard this before. I never like, you just like the way they look. I love it. I'm actually, yeah, I got, it's my computer right now is on my MacBook Pro box. Like it is. Okay. Well, uh, that's a good use for it. That's a good yeah, repurposing. It's like I get in, I get trapped in that, like, uh, you know, you know, like I never know if I'm going to need that box. Like there have been with the iPhone box, like I, I, I can't even tell you what I use it for, but like I have like four of them in one of my drawers over here. And I swear I've used it like twice over the past four years, (laughs) you know, like you don't actually use it. So what are some quick, simple things? I have to say I'm astonished by this. I I wouldn't have thought anybody would ever, I'm impressed you used it twice in the last four years. I can't (laughs) imagine how you would have ever used it even once. I know. I can't imagine why you would keep it for more than a day. Okay. You know what I used it for? I had, so the other thing I struggle with, old computers. Yes. Okay. That you have to have a system. Yes. Because they have to be scrubbed. Yeah. 
And I have another old computer right here, but I'm repurposing yeah. it, use it for my notes. So here's this old computer though. When I did not have, like this is the surface with the kickstand. And if I needed it to like stand, like it doesn't stand up on its own. So I would use the iPhone box sometimes. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so like, for an extra oomph to that kickstand. So that okay. was, I used it a couple of times. Well, that's <laughs> ingenious. That's an ingenious repurposing. So yeah. I mean, if you're actually using something, then it's useful. Um, I mean, I think that one of the problems um, that happens, and actually, I didn't even write about this in the book because it's something that I really uh, became much more aware of, like once I went on the book tour for the book because it came up so often. Okay, we all know about intermittent reinforcement, right? That this is like how, how gambling works, is that if you win something every time, you kind of lose interest. But if you get intermittent reinforcement, it's like you just want that hunger. So I think for a lot of people who hang on to a lot of things, like maybe this will be useful one day, like, oh, I better keep that extra big metal mixing bowl, or I better keep that box because maybe it'll be useful. Like every once in a while, you get that hit and you're like, oh my gosh, I have something I can use. And you like are flooded with this sense of satisfaction. But yeah. what can happen is then you hang on to like so much stuff that you don't need and you're swamped by it on the off chance that sometime down the road, you're going to be able to use something. I think you kind of, I think for many things, it's better to sort of say like, I can imagine that a day would come where I might be able to use this thing. And yet it's pretty unlikely. And I think I would be better off having like the time and space and like letting this thing be recycled or giving this thing away to somebody who would actually use it regularly than to hang on to it. Because it's fine if it's just a few things. But I think a lot of times people who tend that way tend to have like an entire garage and basement full of stuff where to other people, they're like, why is this even in your house? You know, and you, so it's, it's fine if it's within reason and it's a few things, but if you feel like it's kind of taking you over, I think you maybe need to, I think for some people it's helpful to recheck the heuristic. And, and sometimes, sometimes something to think about is like, well, is there something else that could be used for that purpose? Like if you, if you got rid of an extra hammer and then you're like, well, actually I need two hammers, you can very easily get another hammer. If you want a computer box, I think probably there's other things in your house that could serve that purpose. I mean, couldn't you just use a book that you like are keeping as a book instead of like some random empty box? I would think, or maybe like a coffee can that has coffee in it yeah. or whatever, like something else that's like doing its job as well as doing this kind of random, you know, makeshift role. Um, yeah. Because, I, I, you know, it can just start to swamp you. Yeah, it's my first MacBook. So like I'm looking at this box and it's like, ooh, I really, I just, it's very aesthetically appealing, but I, I think I'll get rid of it today. And it's like after, mm. after a month of like using it for like silly stuff, like now it's actually starting to get, uh, it doesn't look as new. The box is starting to get a little bit worn. So I'll have to just make that decision, right? Just get rid of it. So some of the things that can help, uh, or one of the things here, change your language about, uh, I, I know this was a concept from your book. How can that help us, our language? Well, a lot of times if you reframe something, it sounds more fun or it sounds easier. Um, and so by changing your language, you can make it easier to pursue something. Um, and, uh, and that can often make it easier to do something difficult. Right. And now another thing, and I, I, this was towards the end of the book, luxury. How does that help? How does or that, that was okay. That wasn't maybe like that wasn't for getting rid of things necessarily. That was for like an added oomph to your life, like an added little bit of happiness to your life. How does luxury do that? 
Well, um, and I would say this is modest luxury. Um, I, you know, part of the thing uh, with outer order intercom is it's not all about just stripping away or getting rid of things. It's not, some people are sim simplicity lovers and some people are abundance lovers. And so abundance lovers just tend to want to have more stuff around by definition. But even for people who are simplicity lovers like me, like you can have, you know, your old manila folders that you've been using for the last 10 years and you turn them inside out and you put a sticker over a sticker over a sticker. It's like you're relabeling them and they look old and tattered and they still do their job. Or you might decide, you know what, I use these files every single day. I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy some nice new ones that have a like a nice pattern and that are all fresh and kind of laminated so they're going to stay in good shape. You know, you might decide, well, you know, this will just make my life, my work life more pleasant. And so it's worth spending $4.99 on a pair of like actual folders. Um, and I think sometimes it's useful to think about, well, are there ways like to make, to have good tools or beautiful tools because beautiful tools make work a joy. Um, you know, you've got your old uh, office chair, like my office chair, something just happened. Oh. It's very annoying, which is like, it has that kind of faux leather on the seat, on the handle. And it, it, you know how every once in a while that stuff just cracks open? That just happened to me. Overnight, I come in and I'm like, oh, this handle is now cracked. I'm sure I'll keep the same chair for maybe another 10 years because I'm an underbuyer, meaning I don't like to buy things. But it's annoying because now something is sort of messed up. And now it's like kind of dragging me down. And I'm sure at some point the whole chair will sort of dissolve into nothingness and I'll get a new chair and I'll be like, this is amazing. This is such a luxury to have this beautiful new chair. So I think to be aware, like beautiful pens, if you write by hand a lot, um, you know, a nice office lamp that maybe isn't the cheapest office lamp that you could get, but is really good looking as well as serving its purpose. A little bit of luxury can make our lives more beautiful. Yeah. Now there's a caveat to the clearing of clutter that we must be careful of. And I caught myself in this pattern, procrasticlearing. Oh, what? yes. What is procrasticlearing? So procrasticlearing is when clearing clutter becomes a form of procrastination. And one of my secrets of adulthood is that working is one of the most dangerous forms of procrastination because we can convince ourselves that we're being productive even though what we're doing is actually just procrastination. And procrasticlearing is a classic example of this where like maybe the that closet that you're looking at, it hasn't bothered you in two years and it's been like that. But now you've got this big report due that you don't want to work on. And you're like, you know what? I can't possibly do anything. I can't do a lick of work until I deal with that closet. I got to empty the whole thing out. I got to sort through it. I got to alphabetize it. I, maybe I got to paint it. Who knows? That's procrasticlearing because it's when the desire to clear is just, it feels like nothing can be done on any other priority until the, the until the clearing takes place. And um, you always know later if it was procrastinating clearing, if the desire to clear vanishes the minute that your big project is finished, which, which happens mm -hmm. sometimes. And so it is true that clearing clutter, like clearing off your desk, putting things away often can help people focus and prepare. So like if you're doing that for like 20 or 30 minutes, that, you know, that might be reasonable. But if you start feeling like, or like people who work from home are like, I needed to vacuum my whole apartment before I could start working. It's like, okay, I think you're, I think it's, that's a little bit of a bigger goal than needs to be accomplished in order for you to begin your work. And like any kind of procrastination, the problem is that it, um, it gets in the way of us doing what's a higher priority. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing it. It's just that if there's something that's more urgent or more important to you, something that you would really prefer to spend your time on, you need to face up to that 
so you can use your time the way it's really going to make you happier and more productive over the long run. For certain. Outer Order Intercom, it's on Amazon. Everyone knows where to get get books nowadays. You can probably get it at Barnes & Noble too. I imagine it's there. Uh, the Happiness Project is one I'm going to pick up next. Uh, GretchenRubin.com, at GretchenRubin. Uh, also, the, your Four Tendencies quiz. Yes. I think, yeah, if you just, that's what I did. If you just look up Four Tendencies quiz, we didn't talk about the Four Tendencies today because it wasn't within the scope of this conversation and it's not her most recent work. We wanted to talk about Outer Order Intercom, but I highly recommend that uh, that you do that. I am, as I mentioned, the questioner. I yeah. So if people go to Gretchen... Authority, every, uh, everything, yeah. <laughs> if you go to GretchenRubin.com slash quiz, you can take it right there. It's a, as you know, it's a very quick, easy, free quiz. Like More than 2 million people have taken the quiz now. Um, and I also talk about it a lot on the Happier Podcast. So if people are curious to hear more about the four tendencies, we talk about it a lot on the Happier Podcast. Excellent. Well, Gretchen, I before I ask my final question, I really thank you for sharing with us today. This has been a fantastic conversation. Again, being flexible and, and working with us today with the technical difficulties. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Gretchen. I'm so happy to have talked to you. Excellent. So my final question, if you could teach a course at a university, course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? I'd have to go with happiness and good habits. Excellent. Gretchen, you rock. Thank you so much. Thank you. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Growth Mindset University, the podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, all I ask is that you share it out to your friends, family, etc., on your Instagram story and tag me and our guest today. And don't forget to message our guest as well so that you build your network as you listen and learn with this podcast. And if you really believe that hearing the message of growth is important to the world and you want to help others find our show and you're not satisfied with just taking a screenshot and sharing this on your Instagram story, well, I've got good news for you. You can go the extra mile in helping spread this message of growth. You can leave us an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We have over 200 ratings right now and it has made a gigantic difference for this show, not only helping people find the show, but getting awesome guests. Thank you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn and grow to give.